Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, my guests on today's podcast are two great young men that are part of my youngest son's friend group and close friends to me and my wife, Luke Davenport and Mason Diamond. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dick. Yes, thank you for having us. Uh, by way of introduction, um, there these guys are part of a group that at probably at age 16, 17, and 18, active Latter-day Saints look forward to their mission. And then their mission experience turned out very different than what they had planned. And this is a podcast where we just talk about things that to improve our culture by having guests come forward and share their stories. Some of them are pretty difficult stories. They've walked really complicated roads. Um, Elder Luke Davenport probably always planned to serve a proselyting mission eventually felt that that was not his path and is serving a service mission. We're recording this podcast in late July. He'll be released from that service mission at the end of July. So he's technically Elder Luke Davenport. He was on episode 228 talking about um, his journey with OCD. And it was a real vulnerable, remarkable podcast. So please um, reference that podcast as you want to hear more about Luke's story. Um, Mason Diamond, um, Graduated the same year Luke did, and my our youngest son from a high school here in Salt Lake in 2019, mm-hmm. and then headed out. Got his tell our listeners where you got your mission call. So I got my mission call to McAllen, Texas, and tell our listeners roughly when you left. I left uh, July of 2019, and as Mason will share, um, he got to the MTC and kind of. Um, everything outside of which wasn't Mason's fault went sideways and he came home, rightly so, and was probably in one of the darkest spots I've ever heard um, a missionary be in. And um, I don't know how much of that story you're going to end up sharing on the podcast, but it's, it's, a, it's a sobering story. It's a story of faith and courage and an ability to look forward and move forward. I asked Mason before, before we started the podcast, because often those difficult experiences can cause someone to separate themselves from the church. And tell our listeners how you feel about the church. So when I first came home, it was hard for me to go to church. I had always believed in the church and felt it was true, but I felt that I was going to be judged for being an early release missionary but I have always believed in the church and I'm getting married in the temple next month. So congratulations on behalf of all of us for being married, getting married. And I've met your bride and you guys make a great couple. And so I admire you making your way forward. Um, Luke, talk about um, your decision to serve a service mission. Um, I think we, we talked about that a lot last time, but it was just, um, I've just been suffering for a long time with like OCD and anxiety and bouts of depression probably. And, uh, I probably coming up to the summer after we graduate, I knew I was probably not gonna be able to go. All my friends had their calls and we're leaving or leaving pretty soon. And I, I didn't really know what to do. And so I just, I did a semester at Slick and was in a pretty dark spot and wasn't made to class a lot. And probably the most depressed I've been ever. And then through conversations with you, actually, we, I think I was inspired to submit my papers as a service missionary because it was, it was brand new at the time. Beginning of 2019 is when service missions were designated as full-time missions. And so, and before that, they weren't, they weren't really seen, like, at least personally to me, they weren't seen like that. And I think it's, the culture is still shifting around that, but that's, that's the ultimate reason why, because I still, always wanted to serve, but it was, but I couldn't do a teaching mission. So talk about, have you seen a change in our culture now that you've been on your mission for a year and a half? Yeah. Or even just longer? about, just about, um, well, I, I think, I mean, church culture is really difficult and I don't know how to put like a finger on exactly what it is, but, um, People are always really kind about it. No one really understands. And I think that's the hardest part is there's not a lot of uh, literature or videos made on what a service mission is or who 
what kinds of people serve service missions because it's there's all types of us whether it's physical ailments or mental or even early release missionaries or sometimes you're just called because like when you get a calling you're called to where you're supposed to be and that's a hard thing to accept when your mission call says service mission and all your friends are in foreign countries or but but that's not the important part the place isn't the important part it's what the work you're doing so i think there's still a long way to go for people to know about them but i think for the most part people are pretty understanding and and, and loving of you I've, the only time i've someone's ever said i serve at the, the temple on the gardening team and someone said to me so you guys are just the missionaries that you're just the kids that don't want to serve missions wow. and like that's the only time someone's ever said anything that like felt like and then i quickly was like no i actually have anxiety in this and he's like oh and he was very understanding of that but it's there's just not it's not talked about enough so i feel like that's the only thing that i would change about the culture around service missions is just talk about it more so people have a more of a grasp of what it actually is because it's so new tell our listeners what you do as a service missionary um <laughs> and i realize every serve mission is service mission yeah. is different that's the cool thing is there's a lot of different options for people to a lot of assignments you can choose your own schedule and things like that so um uh currently i serve at catholic community services are the two churches have a partnership and we we work with refugees and the homeless population people who are food insecure things like that um once a month we go up and we work at the food bank and once a month we work at uh saint vincent de paul society and serve homeless a lot of it was refugees covid really shifted that i started my mission in three weeks in covid happened and we shut down so it was a big length of time that i wasn't serving so it's just kind of off and on work and then uh early this spring i joined the gardening team over at the jordan river and oak mountain temples and so we do landscaping and upkeep the grounds are there parables in the new testament or in the book of mormon that help give us a doctrinal foundation to look at your mission as the same as a proselyting mission um i don't think i'm very well like scripturally versed but um one of my good friends elder wilkins who's i serve with at both locations actually he he brought up recently that he's like Ammon was the first service missionary if you think about it cuz he got called I think to serve King Lamoni and um he just served him and then eventually through that he joined the church he joined like the gospel or whatever you want to call it back then but so I think there are examples of it I think Jesus Christ is the greatest example of service just pure service it wasn't about changing people's minds it was just about loving them and bringing them closer to him because that's where pure joy truly is. I love that. That's a great one. I do think of Ammon and what he first did. Um that's a great insight. I think of I think of the vineyard. I think of the symbolism of the vineyard sometimes and how you know everybody that works in the vineyard no matter how they work I think is you know Christ loves everybody and everybody's doing important work and culturally we look at different type of missions in different ways foreign versus domestic sometimes foreign speaking versus not service yeah. mission versus proselyting mission i think you're doing a good job of helping that i i assume some people have have considered and have served service missions because of your example do you know of any that have told you that not not personally that have come up and said that but i know of a a little boy in my home ward who i think he's on the autism spectrum who after my hearing my homecoming talk my my farewell talk he he said like i could do that so i i mean and, and it like i said it's all it's all levels of every walk of life is serving service mission there's so many different types of kids so it's it, it's not even if you don't think you're fit like are like have issues that would prevent you from serving teaching mission you still could get called to a service mission because there's so many different types of people yeah can you if you're Can you if I could if I were 19 or 18 could I choose to serve a proselyting mission or a service mission or is a service mission more of an open option when a proselyting mission isn't going to be possible Um my understanding is it's just and I don't think people talk about this enough but it's you put your papers in and you get the call that's how it is Personally I put my papers in and I said I know I can't go proselyting so I think I kind of expedited the process in that way cuz 
when you have mental health, I know there's a lot of screenings that yeah. have to go on with therapists and things to make sure. Cause I mean, a two year teaching mission is a strenuous thing. So, but like elder Wilkins put in his papers and got a service mission call, like unexpectedly. He was kind of like, what the heck? But it, it, you're just called where you're supposed to go now. And I think there, there is a designation between the two, obviously, cause they're very different types of like what you're doing on a daily basis, but it's it's just a mission. Like we should just keep it, like put your papers in. I like go that. On a mission. There's a lot of people on my social media that want these two types of missions to culturally be seen equal in the eyes of Latter-day Saints. And they believe like you do and I do that they, they are seen as equal by our heavenly parents and our savior. I mean, just think about it. You've given 18 months of your life. You haven't been able to be in school. You haven't done all the things that, traditional or proselyting missionaries do people may say well you live at home and there's a little more flexible in your life but i i don't think we should look at it that way and sort of you know measure that we see you in our home ward we don't see full-time missionaries in our home ward you know i think you helping us understand this is a real mission it's not a second class mission it's not anything different and there's parables and i love your i love your example of ammon so listeners, please check out episode 228, Elder Davenport is really brave and vulnerable with OCD. Um, he's kind of the wounded healer that's willing to talk about complicated things. But Mason, I want to, you know, get you telling more about your story. I remember going to your farewell in July or June. That's two years ago. I remember coming to your backyard. I've known you, you know, reasonably well. You've got this dry sense of humor. I don't know if that'll come out of the podcast. <laughs> Um, you're just somebody that as I spend time with, you're not a man of a million words, but what you say just brings a smile to my face. And it's often this dry humor. You're very bright. You're very articulate. And as I went to your farewell and then to your open house, I just thought there's a young man who's ready to go, has prepared himself, um, has a track record of success. And, and so I think a lot of missionaries that go out and become early release missionaries are like that. Um, and there's sort of no sign internally or with people close to them that this may not work out as hoped. Um, but I want to just talk about how you felt. Tell if, if you haven't already, tell our listeners what MTC you went to. Um, I went to the Mexico MTC. And before you get to Mexico, how were you feeling, you know, the week leading up to your mission? Do you feel you were feeling just the normal anxiety of a missionary, were there signs back then that things might be really difficult for you? Um, there were no signs leading up to it. I felt excited to be going. I thought everything would go well because I'd have the Lord on my side. And I was kind of blindsided once I got there. Blindsided's a good word. Um, so talk about um, first of all, were you excited to go to the Mexico MTC? Because you're not going to Mexico, but it was kind of an interesting time. You were going to the Mexico MTC and then going back to the States. How did you feel about going to the Mexico MTC? I was excited because I had wanted to go on a foreign mission, and I thought it would be cool to go to Mexico and learn Spanish and be with all those missionaries too. And is that a nonstop flight from Salt Lake? And were there, if it is, were there a lot of other missionaries headed there? Or were you on your own? Um, there were a lot of missionaries, and it went through LA. So you remember that? So it wasn't. Talk about what? Just talk about what time of day did you land there, and what time of day did you get to the Mexico City MTC? So we got into the airport. I want to say around two in the afternoon, and we didn't get to the MTC until about eight. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a long day of travel, really. Did you get a companion and a good meal that that night? Um, I didn't meet my companion until the next morning. Uh huh. Yeah. How long were you going to be in the Mexico City MTC before you went to Texas? I was going to be there for six weeks. Six weeks. And listeners, this is all pre-COVID, so we're still in July, I think, of 2019, two years ago. Share with our listeners when you realized the blindsided. Let's just keep using that word. That's a good word. Uh, blindsided to me means that there's no intent on your part 
um, to have an experience that you didn't see coming and there's no way to prepare for it and very difficult and it was probably very difficult to deal with. But just share with us what happened. I would say I started realizing something was wrong by about the end of the first week. I wasn't sleeping and there was so much anxiety and I just felt empty and sad. Um, had you felt a lot of anxiety before? No, I hadn't dealt with that. Had you had a hard time sleeping before? No. Most men your age um, don't seem to have a hard time sleeping. <laughs> um, do you have a feeling for what the source of the anxiety was or feeling so empty and sad? Those are serious words. Um, I think it was just being thrown into a completely different environment where there was so much uncertainty and it wasn't what I was expecting. And I just felt inadequate to be there. Talk, and you're being really brave and vulnerable. Thank you, Mason. Talk about, um, talk about just in, inadequate. Explain that more. Cause on one level you've done, you know, you were prepared. That's what I didn't understand because I had done mission prep and read my scriptures and prayed all leading up to it. And I felt like I should feel fine to be there. But I just kept getting the feeling that I wasn't good enough to do it. Were there talks about repentance or just a culture or things that you'd picked up in the past that in your mind took you to that space? Or do you, any thoughts on how that, how that went, how your mind went there? Um, well, I've, since I've been home, I've been talking with a therapist. Well, actually it's been the last few weeks, actually more recently. And there was some trauma in my childhood and just like from what we've talked about, it sounds like those feelings of uncertainty and confusion all came back up and had been like sitting there in my mind for years, but had never really manifested. That's a great insight. Any just Is there any idea you can explain to our listeners why the MTC brought that up? Just it being so different from being home, like being surrounded by people who, like, you know, are good and you want to be able to be the best you can be too. And just not seeing yourself that way. Talk about... um were you sharing how you felt with anybody? Um, so in my mission, I did not share for the first couple weeks how I was feeling with anyone. But in about the third week, my MTC district leader, Elder Keithley, was a really good source to talk to. And he had dealt with depression in the past. And he just understood how I was feeling more than anyone else there, it seemed like. Uh, talk about what would you say to yourself before you talk to Elder Keithley? If you could go back and talk to yourself, your younger self right now, this is two years later and all you've learned about yourself. And before you talk to Elder Keithley, what would you say? I would probably say that it's important to find someone to help you because sometimes you just can't do it on your own. It's a great answer. Did you think this time before you talked to Elder Keithley, I think that you said his name, did you think this was a spiritual weakness that you could solve through more spiritual behaviors like more prayer, more scripture study, more fasting, and this was just a sign of a spiritual weakness? Or was your mind 
recognizing this might be a mental illness or mental health issue? Um, I didn't realize that. I was thinking maybe like I did something wrong. Maybe like I don't have as strong of a testimony as I thought I did. And so I was studying more than I'd ever studied and the language too. That came easier to me because I had taken four years of Spanish in high school. So it was just confusing to be feeling like I was doing everything I could, but to still feel alone. You're doing a great job of putting words to where you were in Mexico City. Um, talk about, did Elder Keith, talk about your time with Elder Keithley and did that solve it or did you get worse and did you talk to other people? Um, when I talked to him, it was more just a validation of how I was feeling and it didn't solve anything. It just kept getting worse as time went on. Like I'd get less sleep and more anxiety and just feel like I couldn't keep going. Keep sharing then what happened. So about the, I think the end of the third week, I went and talked to a counselor there and they recommended that I would go to the MTC psychiatrist. And so I did that and was prescribed medication for depression. Um, that made it so I slept even worse, actually. And it seemed like anxiety attacks started coming after that. Just sitting in a lesson, just breathing heavy, not knowing what's going on with me, and just... Again, confused why it was happening to me. It's a pretty sobering phase, not going on, not knowing what's going on with me. I mean, you're a really capable 18-year-old. I think you're 18-year-old at this point, and you've had a track record of success and been in situations where you could solve things. And that phrase, not, not, going, not knowing what's going on with me, is a pretty good phrase to describe a really tough spot without your normal infrastructure in place to sort of um, find the support you need um, and not sleeping on top of all that. Keep sharing, keep sharing just what happened. So after a couple days on the medication, I went and talked to the counselor again and I told him that I wanted to go home and didn't think that I could keep doing it. So they told me, wait till the end of the week and see how you're feeling. But like a couple days later, I started having like darker thoughts, like just wanting everything to end because I started thinking what happens if I do go home. I didn't want to face all the people I had just left and feel like I had let them all down. It's pretty honest. It's really honest. So if I understand the situation, you, you know, honest, rightly so are telling the counselor, I, I need to go home. The medication's not solving this. I'm getting worse and worse. And and considering going home is pretty dark because I don't want to face all the people I just left. And that led you to a dark plot. Were you suicidal? I, well, at that point, I wouldn't say that I was. At that point, I just wanted to go home and see if I could fix things. But... Then we got to 
the fourth and fifth week. But when we got to the fourth week, I went to them again and said, I need to go home. And they asked, like, again, what's wrong? Like, they asked me to share my testimony in the language and to teach part of a lesson. So I did that, and they said, your Spanish is great. Like, it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with you. Like, what's the real reason you want to go home? And I told them I just didn't feel okay and, like, had dark thoughts. And that was hard for me, too. The counselor didn't really seem to believe that. And he wanted me, he said that if we're going to let you go home, we're going to, he said he thought it was because I didn't have a testimony of the church. And at that point, I was willing to do anything to go home. So I told him what he wanted to hear. I told him that I didn't believe. And then after that, he said, if you really want to go home, you have to call your stake president and your parents and tell them what you just told me. So I had to do that. And then they said, keep studying and give it one more week. So I really didn't know what was going on with me still and thought maybe they were right. So I went back to studying, reading for hours every day and just trying to fix everything. But it kept getting worse. So I went back a few days later this is a few days into the fourth week and I tell them that I'm going home I don't care what I have to do or who I have to call so they finally booked me a flight and I left at the end of the fifth week um, on behalf of all of our listeners who are listening Mason thank you for the courage to share this part of your story this takes so much courage but it helps other people. Uh, my love for you, I've known you a long time, Mason. My love and respect for you just went up a few more notches. I've never heard that much of your story. I think I better understand this box you were in that was just closing on all sides outside of your control and everything you were doing to sort of find a side of the box that would work for you. I recognize this was not a spiritual weakness. It was not a testimony issue. It was not a commitment issue. I recognize your good heart wanted to do everything you could to serve. And I'm just, my heart just goes out to you because people around you, well-meaning people didn't understand the complexity of the situation, the goodness of your heart, and what a dark spot you were in. What would you... I'd love, I mean, I want to have you talk about coming home, but I'd love to have you talk to, I don't know if there's anybody listening that's kind of in the same spot you are, just in this spot with closing boxes around them, just, and everybody around them just doesn't quite understand, and they don't, just talk to people you feel need to hear your advice for people who are in the spot you were in. Um, I think it's important to find people that understand, at least understand more than others, like my district leader, like giving me the feel like that my feelings were valid, that like, it's not my fault. Um, the MTC psychiatrist also, he explained to me that this like, 
it's equivalent to having like a broken bone. Like it's not visible though. So people don't, they can't see that there's something that's broken. So I think just finding people that understand and are on your side is important. Talk about the flight home. Um, so I left to go home the same time someone who was returning from their mission in Mexico was. And I didn't want to go home. I did not want to look at all the people I had just let down. Um, my family was pushing me to stay too because um, they didn't understand either. And it was just a lot of anxiety and I just didn't want to deal with that. It's honest, really honest. Talk about landing and talk about the airport. Talk about first few days. Anything you want to talk about? So when I landed, um, we were close to the exit. I got my bag and I just sat there for a few minutes because I didn't want to go see everyone. Um, by the time I had left, I was shaking all over. And I was just overwhelmed to see everyone waiting for me. And at this point, they had kind of accepted that something was wrong and, and they were really loving and I didn't feel that I deserved that. Why didn't you feel you deserved that? because I felt like a failure. Like I had let down my family and God and all the people around me and all the people that I would have taught on my mission. Pretty honest. Do you feel that way now? Um, up until recently, I have still had some of those feelings. I wouldn't say as strongly because I've had more validation that something's like not right, that something's broken. It's helped me to realize that it wasn't ever really my fault. But for a long time, I did feel like it was my fault and that I was a failure. How did you get to that point where you are now? Um, just talking to a lot of people. Luke has helped me a lot too. Luke is a good man. Talk about the um, what it was like to go to church. Did you go to church the first Sunday that was the Sunday you were home? I didn't the first week I was home, but the second week I did and... I really didn't want to do it because there were all these people I had just stood up and given a a farewell talk to, and I didn't want to appear as if I had done anything wrong or there was something wrong with me. It's honest. Um, you were one of the very best guests I have as, of communicating what's in your heart and the experience into words. And you're not man of a million words, so it's not like you're over-explaining it. You just kind of explain it in just the right amount of words. Um, talk about, did that get better? Did you start to go to a different ward? And, and were there things you'd advice you give to ward members that are, you know, have a missionary in their ward that's just come home? Um, there were actually a couple of 
people that had been in young men's with and that were in the stake that reached out to me and they took me to a singles ward and just talked to me and were kind and helpful and that helped a lot being home too. What did they do that was kind and helpful? Just to see that they were thinking about me and like would reach out and offer to do that was, I thought that was really cool. It's cool. It's not complicated either. <laughs> Talk about your parents. Most parents in this situation, before they understand what's really going on, would naturally want their son or daughter return. And it sounds, talk about the the journey with your parents and how your parents came to an understanding and things they did that were helpful. Um, they did not understand when I got home. Their initial reaction was to try and fix it so they could get me back out as fast as possible. And that was very unhelpful, actually. Like, Because after I came home, there was a lot of, like, trauma around the idea of a mission. Like, I wanted nothing to do with that at that point. That's honest. And you're doing a good job being honest. Did Are they still at that point? Do they want you to go back on a mission? Um, every now and again, they'll mention it, but they understand more. How did they get to an understanding? Um... Just, I think seeing me the way that I was when I got home and just every time a mission was mentioned in church or just by them, brought up by them, I would like, it would bring up a lot of anxiety and I think they could tell and see that that was painful for me. Talk about trauma. Introduce that concept to our listeners and why this is just pure trauma, what happened to you. Um, the feeling of feeling like I was ready and going out and everything going wrong and the disappointment that came from that. Um, I was scared to go back out because if it happened again, I just couldn't take it. What does mean couldn't take it mean to you? Um, I just don't think I'd ever recover from that. Just feel completely broken. Yeah, I mean, do you feel like this PTSD is part of what happened there and you're recovering from that? Yeah, I would say so. Just it's a lot of trauma to have everything go wrong completely out of the blue. Just it just came out of nowhere and yeah. Talk to do you like the term early release missionary mason? What's the best way to talk about your experience? Um, yeah, I've always been fine with that because yeah. that's how I feel it went. Talk to listeners that maybe someone's just sent them this podcast. They've just come home from their respective flight from the Mexico MTC. They're back home and they're in the first month of being back home. And you've been home two years talk to somebody it's you talking to your younger self in that first two weeks just talk to those group of men and women um i would say don't try and do it on your own and go find someone to help not for the reason of getting back on your mission but for the reason of taking care of yourself and your mental mental health Keep talking to that group. Um, it might feel like the end, but 
really it's just a point a low point that I felt I have grown a lot from from making it out of that and getting past it. I like that phrase making it out of that. Um, did you ever consider leaving the church? Um I considered it not for the reasons of not believing it, but just so I wouldn't have to see everyone and feel like an outcast and completely different from all the people there. Talk about your testimony. What keeps you believing in the church? Um, just experiences I've had, just a burning feeling that it's true, that the gospel's true. Uh, talk, that's a remarkable thing you've done, is to separate these difficult experiences, the culture from the gospel. It takes a lot of maturity to separate those two and recognize the trauma you felt and the pain you felt was not our doctrine, but our culture or people. Just, you know, I want you talk about separating gospel, doctrine, your testimony from the culture that at times is painful for you. I think it was painful. You correct me if I misspeak. Um, yeah, that was that was hard for me because I would think like people would be judging me even if they weren't. And I don't know, just the church just scared me. Like to feel like an outcast again and just I don't know when you say the church do you mean the building like physically going to the building or just anything church related it reminded you of this feeling you had just anything church related yeah it's it's a really interesting thing listeners for sort of church generated pain to heal from church generated pain if all the pain in your life Mason was not related to a church experience in some ways, it's easier to turn to the church and your ward community or building because it doesn't represent any of the trauma or pain. But listeners, it's just more complicated when the pain sort of results from the culture of the church and to learn to somehow lean back in that pain in a manageable way to find your way forward. And I think you've done a remarkable job of doing that. Uh, Mason, I mean, Elder Luke, <laughs> I'm going to come back to Mason some more, but thoughts on Elder Diamond's stories you've been watching um, he was Elder Dimes calling you Elder Diamond now too. I hope that's not triggering you because <laughs> you were. And well, I guess you'll always have that title, but go ahead, Luke. Um, well, I remember um, Mason and I have been friends since fifth grade. So it's been, we've known each other for <laughs> quite a long time. And I remember, I remember when he came home, I heard he was back and I was, I was pretty shocked just because I hadn't, He'd been out very long, and I was like, oh. I was told it was depression, and I was like, I, I, I kind of understand that to an extent. I have suffered with mental illness since third grade, so I kind of knew. So I remember one day I uh, I got into a big fight with my mom, and so I just drove away. And so then I think I got a prompting, and it was like, you should reach out to Mason. So and I didn't know how to because I knew we didn't have his phone, so I reached out to him, and we – we drove up to Park City, and it was the first time I'd seen him, and it was it was good to see him, and it was really good to. He didn't open up a whole lot. He you could tell he was hurting a lot, but it was it was really good to see him, and just we've talked over the past two years about this, and like just the way that he is able to be more open about it now is it's a super cool thing because that's a lot of like I almost started crying just a few minutes ago because that's a that's a lot of trauma to deal with and. There's research out there now that, like, you can link most mental illness and probably other things in people's lives to big amounts of trauma. And the the fact that you're you're able to speak out on that means that there is healing taking place. And so that's that was really cool to hear him say all of that. And just the you can tell how he's growing. So that's great insights as a close friend. Was it sort of as you got home? Did you just gradually get better and better, or was it? pretty choppy um and then there were clear were there clear times that you recognized that you got were getting better 
Um, the first few months I was home, I didn't feel that I was getting better at all. I felt like I was in a constant state of pain and just feeling like a failure. But just being around friends and family and realizing that I was the one judging myself more than anyone else, it helped me to realize that there was something I needed to let go. Talk about how you let go. I don't know that I've fully let go. Honest. Yet. But, I mean, I just recently started going to a therapist a few weeks ago, and he's helped me a lot to realize. So I feel like a lot of the letting go has happened over the last few weeks even. But just realizing that this is a problem that so many people deal with and that, yeah, it's like it can be comparable to a physical injury. Like it can stop you from doing things that people might not see, but that doesn't make it any less valid. That's really good. Um, Talk about priesthood leaders advice for, I think you've got good priesthood leaders. They may not be perfect, but if there's priesthood leaders listening that want to be prepared for an early release missionary, what advice would you have for a bishop, a stick president, a young men's president, a young women's president? I guess young women's presidents are priesthood leaders, but listeners, I think you know what I mean. Um, I think my priesthood leaders have done a really good job and the thing that's helped a lot is they've been understanding and they validated that I gave it everything in me and went out there and did all that I could. But it wasn't meant to happen for some reason. Did they want you to go back? Did they make, uh, did they, were there a lot of conversations about get, let's get you back or, or not so much? Um, when I first got back a couple times, they asked me if I wanted to, and I would say yes, because my family wanted me to so badly, but I was always scared to go back and do try and do that again. But once I explained to them that I didn't think it was something for me, they were respectful of that and said that not everyone is able to. When did you come to the conclusion, and maybe you were at this point on the flight home, that you were never going back? I knew, like, on the flight home. I so. think that's great. I think you had enough of experience and enough insight to who you are in that experience. I think you gave it all. And I think that feeling you felt on the flight home, even though Maybe everybody in your circle needed to understand that. I think that's was. I think it. I think it's great you knew that. I think you need to feel you gave it all. Giving it all is not time related. It's not your five weeks. It's the parable of the vineyard. I'm not your priestly your father, and I don't want to turn this into a counseling session. But I just believe so strongly that those five weeks represent everything the Lord required you. And even though it's not defined by the people in Texas you influenced, I think it's I think as your life goes forward and as people listen to this podcast and your wife and your ability to be a husband and a father and a priest and leader, I think those five weeks will become clearer to you what doors that's opened up to you to be able to serve people throughout the rest of your life in a way that you would never be able to. And I think maybe at some level you know that now, but I think if you came back on the podcast at age 60 or age 40 and talked about this experience, you know, I think you would say with sort of the totality of your life laid out, I think you're going to say this was this was all that was required of me. And I did everything I was asked to do, and it wasn't time-related. Even the Garden of Gethsemane, you brought this up in one of our visits, was not a long period of time for Christ to you know, do what he did. But the, but the experience of what he did and the influence, obviously, on mankind um, 
and, I, and you don't want to be compared to Christ, so I don't, <laughs> that may just add to your anxiety. <laughs> but, you know, I just, that's my feeling. And I think, you know, I think that's the way your heavenly, how do you feel your heavenly father feels about your mission and who you are and what you've done? Um, it's taken until recently to fully believe this, but I feel that he's happy with what I did and happy with the effort I put in and that I don't need to feel like I wasn't enough anymore. I don't need to feel like I am not enough anymore. If everybody listening could feel that, I don't need to feel like I'm not enough anymore. We could end the podcast, right? We could end the podcast series. <laughs> I just believe that's so powerful what you just said. I believe that so strongly, Mason, that our heavenly parents want all of us to feel that we're enough because we're a son or daughter of God and your heart has been focused on doing the right thing your whole life. The fact you've learned that right now at your age, and a lot of people don't ever learn that. They're always chasing that. But to know you know that right now, to me, is, is put you in, in a great spot to be able to help other people and to be at peace with who you are and to bring that gift into your marriage and to your future children and to people in your influence. Elder Luke. I, I just wanted to add that I think... I think when, like, God loves effort and when we go about doing things the way that he wants, like Mason tried to, he he served his mission and it happened to go in the way that I think God prepared for him. And um, I think the adversary then uses that to make us feel like we're not good enough and because we're, we're, we're put on this life to endure trial because the whole our whole earth life is a learning process and when we come down to experience trials we can use those to grow and i think the adversary can latch on to that and try to make you feel like even though you've done everything you needed to do and god is taking down you this path that there might be trials in it because that's just for your betterment the adversary can say like you're not good enough and so the fact that like once you learn that you are like mason said that you don't need to feel like you're good enough or i'm not i didn't say it as eloquently he said it but, pretty eloquently yeah, he did <laughs> But that's like a it's it's just it's just the adversary trying to attack us and take us away from God, even though like he did everything that he was supposed to. And but this is the path that God led him down. And, and no matter what path you're on, you're if you're if you're trying to listen to God and you're trying to do the things that you know to be good, then even if there's hardship, it, it's it's hard to see God sometimes in those dark places, but he's there and he's guiding you through this and it's it's paradoxical because we can all we can let this savior have it all but it's it's so hard to get to the point to let it go there's some like i th i think there's there's a fear in letting go of our trials and there's also a there's a comfort and consistency and when we have especially with mental illness i've i've felt myself that when we have something that's so prevalent in our lives when you let that go it it it, it feels strange like, like just the other day i i wasn't feeling anxious and that's not a typical feeling for me and then i started feeling anxious about not having anxiety which is the most paradoxical situation i've ever been in because like the whole point like <laughs> if you're having anxiety about not having anxiety then like anxiety doesn't even make sense at that point so i, I just think we all have our own path in life and they're all going to be different and we we need to do as the savior did in love and and that's it love it love is love is the big thing and just know that God loves you and knows that you're trying. You guys are how old right now? 20. 20. You know, the conversations we're having with men at age 20 are pretty remarkable. Great insights. What you just shared, Luke, is way beyond your years. I could never have shared anything like that at age 20. And both of your insights into complicated issues that you've walked and your ability then to have real, authentic, meaningful conversations in appropriate times with other people. You, neither of you are, are shallow. <laughs> you can probably be shallow at times and have 
typical 20-year-old fun. That's great. For sure. But you have this ability to go deep. And that is one of the gifts you bring to people in your life. Um, more, any more thoughts you'd like to share, Mason, that come to your mind? Um, not that I can think of. I have a question for you. I get all these questions that come in my mind. Do you think your Heavenly Father is surprised what happened in Mexico City? Not at all. Why? I think the path that I've been on since a young age is he's known this is going to happen the whole time and that I've come to realize I've probably had these experiences so that I can help other people that are going through similar situations. How do you think? I love your answer. I love your answer. I, I agree with your answer. I think he knew you well and knew knew you well enough in your good heart and your life experiences that he knew that experience was going to happen. He wasn't surprised. He wasn't disappointed. Mason, I think it was one of your finest moments. I think it was pure hell. I will never know what it was like to be where you were. But pure hell is is the closest thing to be where you were, not sleeping with those thoughts in your mind. I mean, a box closing in on all sides is the only visual imagery I can, you know, and just the things you had to do to get out of that box that were required of you, I think were great. Even if you had to say things that weren't how you really felt to get out of that box, I think you did the right thing. Mason, you did the right thing to come home. I don't know if you'd where you'd be if you hadn't, if that box had gotten any tighter around you. The world's a better place with you here. Your ability, we love you in our home. Your friends love you. So many people love you. Your good parents love you. And um, your ability for the rest of your life to help people. Um, I read this quote a lot, listeners, but, you know, I'll just read it again in case you're not regular listeners. But this was given, this was given to me by a a young man in your ward that you probably don't know, Jake Watts. I don't know if you know the Watts family in your ward. Um, but he talked, he gave me this quote. It's called The Wounded Healer. A minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of a desert by someone who's never been there. So Mason knows, you know, a really brutal desert. And um, you're the wounded healer. Um, Luke, you're the wounded healer. And that's a great, Elder Holland is the wounded healer. When he talked mm -hmm. about the broken vessel and he talked about major depressive episodes, I think was some of the vocabulary. You know, my love for Elder Holland increased. His apostolic mission in my eyes didn't decrease. It actually increased. I felt he would be safe for me if I ever need was in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Elder Holland about any subject because mm -hmm. he was vulnerable and he was authentic and he was real and he opened up in an appropriate way of what was going on in his life. And I think that's one of the beautiful aspects of his ministry is being real at times. And I just believe strongly that if either of you came on the podcast in 20 years, 40 years, I don't know if I'll be live at age 100 <laughs> doing podcasts, but I think you look back to these experiences you've had and the role that it's helped you as a husband and as a father and as a priesthood leader and as a young men's leader and any callings you have. I I hope you don't go down these roads, Mason, or either of you that says, I won't be the young men's leader that I thought I could be, or I won't be my trajectory in life in any way has changed because my mission experience wasn't what I thought it would be. I just think that's not from, those thoughts are not from God. Um, I, think, and, I think it's the opposite. I think you will be the young men's leader or whatever calling you have because of Why? this. Because there's no, there's no growth in stagnation. There's no, you have to like, like you said, like, like the wounded healer, you have to have gone down a path to be able to show people the way like that. And Jesus Christ is the greatest example of that. But I think that like you, you truly grow from your trials. And so you'll be able to help people more in the future in your callings or whatever portion of life you're in because of, because this, Defining event is helping to transform you to the person you're, you're meant to be. It's Love not that. the other way around. 
Any thoughts on that, Mason? I agree with that. I think that the experiences that I've had will help me to be better than if I hadn't had them. I agree with that. And it's it's interesting to look at your friend group. I've just written their names down here. Mason Diamond, who's on the podcast. Um, Luke Davenport is on the podcast right now. You've got a friend, Hunter Workman, a close friend, who's also an early release missionary, just another great young man. Uh, maybe he'll come on the podcast to share his story. Ben Osser, our own son, um, was you know worked through mental health issues on his mission. Um, came home, kind of resolved those into a sustaining point. Obviously, it was not in the same spot. You were very different than your situation. I don't want to compare those situations, but he came home and with COVID and elected to get married instead of go back on his mission. Um, and then two of your buddies, Taylor Young, has just come home, and Britton Jensen is coming home. And so um, you all have had different experiences probably than you first have, but I think you'll continue to just be great friends, support each other in your individual journeys. I think you'll be friends for life and um, will help so many people in your respective journeys. So with that, unless there's any more comments, um, this is Richard Osler and Luke Davenport and Mason Diamond signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>